The Guardian. Hello and welcome to this month's Sounds Jewish. I'm Jason Solomons. And in this month's podcast, with the US election campaign in its electrifying final month, American comedy giant Sarah Silverman tells Jewish grandmas in Florida to get off the sun lounger and vote for Obama! If Barack Obama doesn't become the next president of the United States, I'm going to blame the Jews. The changing face of anti-Semitism in Britain has the internet made it different and worse. Plus, bright eyes, Tanya Gold sends a love letter to Art Garfunkel. He was the first Jewish man I ever fancied. Art wasn't beautiful in profile, but he had those lovely sad eyes and that lovely fluffy Jufro hair. Shalom, shalom. And keeping me company in the pod this month are Guardian columnist Jonathan Friedland and Communications Director of the Community Security Trust, or CST, Mark Gardner. Welcome, gentlemen. Uh, Mark, exactly, just before we start, just explain to people what the CST is and does. CST is basically the security agency for the Jewish community. On the one hand, we provide physical protection and advice across the Jewish community, all political, religious, geographical throughout the country. But also we try and look at anti-Semitic incidents and especially nowadays looking at anti-Semitic discourse, the mood music, if you like, around Jews. So you're, you're the, the guys we see around synagogues and around big events, talking into the lapels, making sure that, uh, that, that it, the coast is clear. Exactly. We try to provide an eyes and ears service for the community. On the one hand, uh, we hope that it helps to deter would-be terrorists, and we work very closely with the police on that. Also, it means that we get a good handle on the numbers of anti-Semitic incidents that are occurring. And, and this place is secure? You've scoped it out before we got in? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I'm feeling very safe. <laughs> well, Jonathan, you've been uh, at the Guard in and covering US politics for years uh, and you've been back and forth this year. I mean, we're delighted to have you here in the country for five <laughs> minutes. I'm sure your wife's delighted too. It's been a compelling campaign from start to finish, this one. I think if anyone was apathetic about politics or US politics in, in particular, they will have been politicised and engaged by this debate. Hugely so. I mean, it's been it's gone from being a soap opera at first with the Barack versus Hillary storyline to now in this uh, in these final few weeks, a, a really high stakes contest. I think no one in the world now has any doubt that this election really, really matters. I mean, the financial crisis, you can tell, is going to be determined, good or ill, in Washington, people still living with the legacy of the Iraq war, a decision that was made in Washington but affected everyone all over the world. So this has got everything, really. Amazing characters, soap opera characters and really high stakes. So let's uh, let's turn to the American election. As the campaign enters a nail-biting final month, most pundits are predicting yet another squeaker of a result where every last vote counts. I myself have just seen a film with Kevin Costner called Swing Vote in which the American election is decided by redneck Kev, uh, plain old bud in his trailer in New Mexico. So it could happen. But attention has become focused not on Kevin Costner for us, but on one group whose allegiances are usually never in doubt. Jewish voters normally back the Democratic candidate in huge numbers, around 80% back John Kerry and Al Gore. But there seems to be much less enthusiasm for Barack Obama. And that could make all the difference in a couple of crucial states. So how do Jewish voters feel about the choice this year? Sounds Jewish went out onto the streets of the most Jewish city in America, New York, to gauge opinion on Obama and John McCain. Israel is not the most important issue for me as a Jew. The economy is the most important issue to me in this election. I am 100% without question planning on voting for Obama. I have a feeling that the McCain um, commitment to Israel is perhaps more etched in stone 
whereas the Obama one is left a little more nebulous than I'm comfortable with. I think he's trying to hide a little bit his Muslim um, background. Not that he is Muslim, he might be, or he has probably leanings towards Muslim. I think McCain is an anti-woman, anti-progressive politics, anti-civil rights, like anti-world um, that I want to live in candidate. As you can hear from the streets of New York, their Jewish voters are by no means completely behind Barack Obama. So what to do to bring anyone who strays back on side? The princess of Jewish-American comedy, or maybe that should be the Jewish princess of American comedy, Sarah Silverman, has been deployed to focus on the crucial state of Florida, a must-win state with a large population of retired Jews, of course. It's like no party political broadcast I've ever heard. If Barack Obama doesn't become the next president of the United States, I'm going to blame the Jews. I am. And I know you're saying like, oh my God, Sarah, I can't believe you're saying this. Jews are the most liberal, scrappy, civil rights-y people there are. Yes, that's true. But you're forgetting a whole large group of Jews that are not that way, and they go by several aliases. Nana, Papa, uh, Zadie, Bubby old grandma and grandpa. These are the people who vote in Florida. And the Florida vote can make or break an election. If you don't think that's true, why don't you think back to two elections ago when a little man named Al Gore got fucked by Florida. I'm making this video to urge you, all of you, to schlep over to Florida and convince your grandparents to vote Obama. It can make the difference. Well, that hilarious advert is the handiwork of a new campaign group, JewsVote.org, set up to persuade wavering Jews to come back home to the Democratic Party. Sounds Jewish met up with JewsVote.org co-founder Ari Wallach in New York. About four and a half months ago, um, I received what might have been my 14th email forwarded to me from my mother, where it was basically uh, a litany of slurs and smears against Senator Barack Obama. And I could tell that hundreds of people had actually read this email, but not one person actually made a comment like, huh, you know what, maybe he actually isn't a Muslim, or he actually he didn't go to a madrasa. And at that point, I started talking to some friends about doing something, probably online, to counter the smears. And that's when I was introduced to my co-founder, Mick Moore. And from, from there, just as they say, it's, it's a quick history. We started the Jewish Council for Education and Research a PAC that would allow us to actually raise funds to activate uh, two projects. One, JewsVote.org, which is basically a Facebook meets MoveOn.org for Jews. So people can upload their contacts and send out not just anti-smear emails on Obama into their networks, but actually emails that have information around Obama's stance on the Middle East, uh, social policy, domestic policy, and foreign policy. Our second initiative is thegreatschlep.com. And thegreatschlep.com is focusing on connecting the Facebook generation with their grandparents, uh, specifically in Florida. What we realized is that no matter how many emails you send, uh, there's nothing, nothing beats face-to-face -face conversation, especially from loved ones. And, and we know that grandparents love no one more than their grandkids. We are getting emails from grandparents in Florida saying, I just got this, you know, I just got off the phone with my grandchild in New Jersey. This is amazing, you guys exist. And having had a conversation with my grandchild, I, I recognized that some of the, the ideas that I had around Senator Obama were just, were just rumors and innuendo. 
And, um, you know, I, I now feel much more comfortable pulling the lever for Obama on November 4th. Uh, I've had to have a great schlep conversation with my mother, and I am still actually having it. V victory is close at hand uh, in my family, and I, th I think she's almost there. I think there's, there's a few more things I have to kind of work on, but eventually she will pull the lever for Obama, I believe, uh, come November 4th. So, Jonathan, we've heard from the streets of New York, we've heard from Sarah Silverman, we've heard from JewsVote.org. Could the Jewish vote really make a difference in this election? Well, Jewish uh, people should allow themselves to feel some guilt about this. Well, I'm sure they probably do in uh, any way. Because it could make a difference. Normally that's not the case, but Florida, uh, which is uh, people know is always in play, uh, normally the Jewish vote is so solid in that state that it almost doesn't make a difference. You can just sort of factor it out. But in this particular case, uh, he's normal. The Democrats normally win about 80%, uh, as you mentioned. Uh, it's down in polls to about 60%. I even saw one poll of American Jews that had Obama only at 57%. And yet, if he was able to get, say, 75% of the Jews who vote in South Florida, that would probably tip Florida into his column. And if he wins Florida, he wins. So actually, just get just if Sarah Silverman's right and she can get young Jews to phone their grandparents, make them vote, get the numbers from 60 to 75%, Obama could be the could win the presidency. So what do you think lies at the heart of some Jews' resistance to Barack Hussein Obama? Well, you've just given a little bit of a clue there. I mean, it sounds so trivial, but it does seem as if the name is a problem for people, uh, that they somehow uh, believe that he is less American. And of course, Hussein, people think, is an Arab name. And, you know, for a Jew, 75, 80, 85 years old, they perhaps don't think too deeply about Middle Eastern well, politics. Well, even if you're called Shmuley Blitzstein. That's right. They think, you know, it's like they're to talk about names. But the uh, worry they have, and they were, this was exploited. There was a campaign to deliberately send round uh, emails uh, which suggested that he is a radical Muslim, that he was educated in a madrasa. Uh, totally untrue, uh, but they were deliberately targeted at Jewish voters. And in combination with his name, they seem to have struck a chord. And so the elderly Jew of Florida, who's not actually reading, you know, the stories in the New York Times, which says, look, he's a Christian, uh, have believed it and think, OK, we'll stick with McCain. They, there's that nice Joe Lieberman, who's a Jewish senator, Democrat, who's supporting McCain. We'll go with the guy we know. Uh, there is also uh, uh, the aspect of McCain's heroism, his kind of patriotism, his Vietnam experiences. He's come through a war in a way. Is that not being exploited, that kind of I'm a survivor aspect? Well, he, it's certainly being so exploited with the election in general. The aspect of that, I think, that probably resonates particularly in a place like Florida is partly his age. I mean, the 72-year-old uh, white man, well, these people are comfortable with a nice young man like John McCain, right? <laughs> so there's that element. Uh, the, and, the, uh, and the reality is that... Um, uh, the, the, the generational factor is large here. They are from a group of... They are Those Florida Jews are people who were in New York in the 50s or 60s. They're not born in Florida. Yep. They're retirees, snowbirds. They're people who've moved to Florida for the weather. In the 50s and 60s, the in relationship between blacks and Jews were extremely tense in New York. And there were um, flashpoints that people will still recall, uh, even became quite violent. So the associations with black politicians in particular have been extremely negative. And this is Malcolm X, Louis Farrakhan, are those yeah. still... That's deep? right. And Jewish voters will still remember Jesse Jackson referring to New York as Jaime Town. So they just have a very bad image of black politicians. Never mind that Barack Obama is of a complete completely different generation and variety from those earlier civil rights black politicians. For some of these old Jews who were coming out of a very strained relationship back in New York three or four decades ago, they have a problem. 
you, what has John, I mean, John you've, you've looked at this very, very closely. Has Obama at any time done anything to woo the Jewish vote himself, actively say, come on, we should all, we're all in this together, you know, blacks, Jews are all outsiders against the kind of, you know, Republican white bread world? He has done plenty to do that. I mean, he has said, even at the very earliest days of his campaign, that he owed his political career, really, to very early Jewish support he got in Chicago, where a whole lot of quite liberal Jews rallied around him. And he says he all... And it is quite true that you look at his lineage as a campaigner, It's always, he's always been surrounded by and backed by uh, Jewish Democrats. His two key campaign advisers, David Axelrod, is the main guy, and he's obviously, as the name suggests... Jewish. Also, he has made speech after speech after speech uh, in which he's talked about his strong feeling for Israel. He addressed APAC, the Israel lobby, and in the warmest possible tones. He's done a trip to Jerusalem and he said he will work on Israeli-Palestinian peace within hours of being sworn into office. So, I mean, he said everything he can possibly say. The only thing he hasn't done is change his name or change his colour. And brutally, those things are the things that are alienating some of these, and I stress again, older Jewish voters. Now, I saw Sarah Palin's acceptance speech when she she was brought in as McCain's running mate. I'd have thought that that would be enough to put any Jews voting uh, Republican. She's so, well, non-Jewish, isn't she? She is, I suppose, a living large shiksa. Creationism, Christian right, hunting, for goodness sake. She's not a Jewish girl. You've got to admit that. And the fact that, you know, in her church, the pastor of the church is a big buddy of the guy who runs Jews for Jesus. Uh, you know, the uh, the she was there present while uh, this only came out and towards the end of September that she was present while a visiting pastor said, we've all got to get into the economy. We've got to learn a lesson from, you know, the Israelites. And she sits there listening to this. You would think Jewish voters would run a mile, especially given that her opposite number in this choice, Joe Biden, her is so Jewish. I mean, he's taught, he's not himself Jewish, he's Catholic, but he has cultivated Jewish voters for so long. There was a headline when he was picked by Obama which said, Obama's a mensch, but Biden's mishpucha, right? <laughs> so, his family. And and the, and he's, he is so pro-Israel, he calls himself a Zionist, he, go, he's, he has a Jewish daughter-in-law, he went yeah. to a Seder last year. The choice of Palin versus Biden, you'd think, was no choice at all, and yet those numbers were proving, towards the end of September, still to be quite stubborn. Jonathan, anyway, will be facing Daily Mail columnist Melanie Phillips in a head-to-head -head discussion on this very subject, which candidate is best for the Jews. It'll be at the Hampstead Town Hall on Sunday the 12th of October, organised by the Jewish Community Centre for London. It'll be chaired by the BBC's John Sopel. Check out our Sounds Jewish webpage for more details. <laughs> There was a time when, if you wanted to access the most hardcore anti-Semitic propaganda, you had to seek it out, getting hold of inky newsletters handed out at far-right rallies. Now it's available to anyone and everyone, anywhere and everywhere, at the click of a mouse. The result is that anti-Jewish hatred, once obscure and marginal, is slowly becoming mainstream, perhaps normal. That, at least, is the view of a new report from the CST, the Community Security Trust, and... Communications Director Mark Gardner is its author. Mark, explain the shift that's happened. It's as you put it. Uh, in previous decades, if you wanted to access hard anti-Semitism, hard extremism, you had to know where to get it. You had to already have an appetite for these things. And then you had to go to these dodgy P.O. boxes, send off your money, you'd get it back in the post. It was hard to get hold of. In fact, the, the people who used to get it most regularly were... Um, you know, Jewish personalities who got it sent free to them without any sort of subscription. As hate mail. As hate mail on a very regular basis. Um, 
the situation is really, really different now. And we actually saw this in the late 80s and early 1990s. Uh, American and European neo-Nazis were actually the, amongst the very first people to realise uh, the importance of, of the internet and electronic communications because they were able to get round all of the legislation that was then in existence. So they paved the way. And ever since then, we've basically seen hate material on the internet really, really flourish beyond uh, all acceptable bounds. And we've seen, since the end of the Cold War, a shifting political scene, which then, after 9-11, became very, very complicated, very, very troubled indeed. And that created the political conditions, I think, for people to seek extremist solutions. That was without the economic downturn, which right. we've now got. Well, we're seeing, we're seeing, as you said, as you mentioned, post 9-11, there were a lot of comments about Israel. Uh, Jonathan Friedland himself wrote lots of pieces about Israel. And of course, because of the Internet, which invites comment back, comment is free, back on, on websites, on thread lines, on chat rooms. The mainstream, uh, The Guardian in particular, somewhere like that, The Times, The Independent, all of those comment pages on websites have opened up th themselves for those debates. And a lot of the comments that you get on your pieces Jonathan, are inflammatory anti-Semitic, are they not? It's definitely true that when I've written about Israel or the Middle East, I do often get a ferocious response. And it, at first it was emails to me, so no one else saw them. And then uh, two or three years ago, The Guardian launched this comment is free website. And that was something very new because it allowed a space for people to offer their comments. And it's quite right that some of those uh, absolutely crossed the line into racism and anti-Semitism. Uh, now there's a very intensive and thorough moderation mechanism to weed out that kind of anti-Semitism or racism. And I think it's doing a very, very good job. But something has definitely changed where, thanks to the internet, there is now space for people to voice the kinds of views that were once very obscure and hidden in a more mainstream place. And that's a shift. Yeah, I think, I think what we've seen is really, really extreme forms of anti-Semitism being distilled, being watered down until they become some sort of semi-acceptable form that people will, will take on board. Uh, the most obvious example of that is the way that uh, Zionism is now depicted by political extremists. I think as Jews we find it very difficult to understand this because for us, you know, Zionism is something which is quite straightforward. Jews should have a state in Israel, basically. Um, whereas for anti-Semites, it's some kind of global conspiracy with headquarters in Washington and Tel Aviv and regional sub-branches in London and Paris and elsewhere around the world. Hollywood, Hollywood mm. being quite an important aspect of it, of course. And it, it's basically, it, it only makes sense by reference to 2,000 years of anti-Semitic themes and mythology. Uh, Jonathan commented on uh, the Comment is Free website, uh, which a couple of years ago was a significant problem. And I think it's only fair to say that they have really cleaned up their act very, very well. I mean, we can't we can't go around suing the BBC website or the Guardian group in itself for having these things on their website, or can we? Well, no, I, I don't think it would be the most productive way to go forward. Basically, what we've found is if you sit down with uh, respectable, responsible people, you explain the perspective, you explain what the problem is, uh, that's the way to deal with these things constructively and, and with dialogue. I think that we're far too quick to brand somebody as an anti-Semite far too quick indeed. And as soon as you do that, you close off all modes of communication. Uh, their hackles go up. They don't want to speak to you. You don't want to speak to them. You get nowhere. In fact, the problem just intensifies. So you have to be constructive about it. You have to appreciate that a lot of the time it's through ignorance, not through hatred. And if you can just sit down, discuss it coherently, sensibly, then very often that's the way to deal with these things. Uh, I personally think that the mood music around Jews has improved 
a little bit of late. Uh, I think that's helped significantly because basically the Israeli situation has quietened down. I'm not saying that it's solved by any means, but it's quietened down. Um, no doubt if something were to happen, for instance, around Iran, uh, then it would all flare up again. Well, on a day-to-day level, Mark, it seems to me that the, the, the younger generation of Jews, certainly in, in this country, in the UK, uh, with, with things like Sounds Jewish, I, I'm being more out, more Jewish. Is that is that risking more anti-Semitism? Or am I putting my head above the parapet and asking for anti-Semitism, saying, come on, get me, I'm Jewish? Or am I saying, actually, I'm all right, I'm Jewish. Do I look like I'm a nasty man? Do I look like a rat? Do I look like a basilisk on, on society's backside? The thing that I hate about being communications director for CST is that I only get to talk about the bad things. I turn up and, you know, I've got this sort of Sergeant Fraser voice of doom uh, <laughs> image. And, and I really, really hate that because the the community is a really complex place. There are absolutely great things going on culture-wise all across the community. Uh, and, and, and full credit to everybody because at the end of the day, it's a complex picture. As my, you know, my late rabbi used to say in Glasgow every time he was speaking at a funeral, in the garden there are roses, but there are also thorns. And I think that's the situation we've got vis-a-vis anti-Semitism and everything else that's really, really good, on the contrary, about the Jewish community. So should a rising tide of anti-Semitism force us to be, like our parents' generation, slightly more under the radar, or should we just be out and proud? I think we should be out and proud, and I think we are. I mean, I completely agree with you that even a programme like this, but also just the way we're speaking, what, what um, is testament to a, a new kind of attitude where partly influenced actually by America, I think, where American Jews, you know, the likes of Sarah Silverman, are just very comfortable letting it all hang out there and uh, in a way taking a leaf out of the book of other ethnic minorities who just felt that they would celebrate who they are. I mean, a lead almost from sort of, you know, black culture in the 60s and 70s. So I think people are much more out. And in a funny way, I think that it almost defies the anti-Semites really. And it says, look, you know, we're comfortable with who we are, even if you're not. One thing you never hear in any good Jewish household is the sound of silence. Yet, the singer of that classic song is one of the half of the most famous musical duos. Duos. The wonderful Simon and Garfunkel, of course. Which half? The one that never gets the right attention. I'm talking about Art Garfunkel, who's playing in London this month. And this time, he's got no excuse to be broigus or angry because he gets the entire stage at the Festival Hall to himself. For once, he won't have to deal with that pesky Paul Simon. That delights Tanya Gold, our correspondent, who is mad about Art Garfunkel. And when I say mad, I mean she is sugar. Why do I love Art Garfunkel so much? I grew up in Teddington, not the coolest or most Jewish place on earth. It's about as Jewish as Henley, and it has a very small Jewish community. I think my family was the Jewish community in Teddington. So Art Garfunkel was not only the soundtrack to my childhood, we played Scarborough Fair on a loop going down to Cornwall, which is a lot of listening to Scarborough Fair. He was one of my only connections with Judaism. We didn't read the Torah on a loop going down to Cornwall, or speak Yiddish, or eat fish balls. I was never actually told that Art was Jewish. I just sensed it. He never turned up on Name That Jew, which is one of my mother's favourite games. Is Frank Sinatra Jewish? A Cannon and Ball Jewish? I suppose with a name like Arthur Ira Garfunkel, it was just taken as red. 
Oh, how I loved his music. It was just so Jewish. It was so melancholic and sad. He managed to make the line, Are you going to Scarborough Fair? sound like, I wish I was dead. When he sings Bridge Over Troubled Water, you are absolutely certain the bridge is going to collapse and everyone on it will drown because pain is all around. When he sings that a rock feels no pain and an island never dies, you know they do really. Even his greatest hit as a solo artist, Bright Eyes, is awake. It's about deformed cartoon rabbits dying of myxomatosis. Bright eyes, burning like fire. Then I became a teenager and discovered men, and I loved him even more. He was the first Jewish man I ever fancied, apart from Barry Rose from the suburb, who pretended not to be Jewish anyway. Art wasn't beautiful in profile, he had too much of a killer schnoz for that, but he had those lovely sad eyes and that lovely fluffy Jufro hair, which he refused to get cut, even though it was two foot tall and presumably got tangled in branches when he walked through Central Park, crying and thinking about life. He's a swat. He has degrees in mathematics and art history, and he lists every book he has ever read on his website, and I have read the list of every book he has ever read on his website. There is another reason why, for me, art is the ultimate singing Jew. He isn't cool like Leonard Cohen and Bob Dylan. He is desperately, madly, volcanically uncool. He used to sing in public with his six-year-old son James, who is possibly the only person in the world shorter than Paul Simon. He's a terrible dancer. I mean terrible. He dances like a cartoon rabbit dying of myxomatosis. He hasn't changed his clothes since 1961. He turned up at the 1981 reunion concert in New York in exactly the same clothes he wore to the 1967 concert in New York. Fifteen years and he hasn't changed his clothes because he's crying and thinking about life. His teeth aren't that great either. He even has a terrible and totally understandable case of shiksa madness and has a habit of falling in love with 80-foot-high, blonde, non-Jewish fembots. He married one, but I forgive him. Nobody's perfect, not even Art Garfunkel. He's a proper Jewish boy. She once was a true love of mine. Tanya Gold there, revealing all. Uh, Mark, Jonathan, big Art Garfunkel fans? Oh, not especially, I have to be honest. Um, I, I kind of associate Art Garfunkel with um, sitting around campfires as a, as a sexually angst-ridden youth, wondering about the sexual potency of the guitar and wishing that I could be the one playing it. I couldn't even clap in time. It was a disaster. We did have this memory in common, I'm afraid. We were both in Habonim together in our youth, sitting around the campfire, and Simon and Garfunkel songs were quite the standard. Habonim, that's the the Jewish youth movement. That's right. Um, We prided ourselves on saying we were the socialist Zionist Jewish youth movement, which we were, and these were formative experiences. And the Simon and Garfunkel music, and music like it was kind of the soundtrack for that upbringing, although now I can't remember singing any of those songs except Mrs. Robinson and particularly feeling this frisson of, of rebellion when we sang this song about Jesus loves you more than you could know and thinking, oh, we, you know, if our parents heard this, they'd be very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, he does, I mean, they do have very um, Jewish elements in their, in their songs. I always thought they conjured up a bit of New York that I couldn't reach, a 70s New York, New Jersey Turnpike, Homeward Bound. They're all the songs, they're songs slightly about exile, 
they were always in Paul Simon's at work. Poor Art Garfunkel never got in there. I was thinking he was thought, because of the hair, I think. <laughs> the Jufro. <laughs> well, Tanya yeah. Gold is right. It is a Jufro, and that is, an, and he's still got it. It's which an is, uber Jufro. It is it, one of the we, uber Jufro. <laughs> it really is. It's <laughs> definitive. And uh, I hadn't thought about what she says there, which is about how uh, he has got a kind of sadness um, in his voice, which is slightly Jewish. But I think the immigrant experience is a big part of those songs, isn't it? About all come to look for America, mm. which I have to say, I my tear ducts get going when I hear that in that way because it plays that sort of uh, it's an odd thing about being British Jew isn't it how you do feel emotionally stirred by the Jewish immigrant experience even to America and Ellis Island even though that's not our past we, it does get me going <laughs> I, I do wonder if Art Garfunkel also suffered from the, 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 the restaurant chain Garfunkel's which opened up in Golders Green in the early 80s everyone used to pile in there put tomatoes and sweet corn and the biggest salad you could find and we were in Garfunkel's and I, every time I always thought of Art and I remember ruined his brand it was either that disappointment that Art wasn't there, wearing obviously a sort of hygienic hairnet <laughs> so that he didn't kind of infiltrate the, the chicken wings, because that would have been disgusting. <laughs> Well, that's all we've got time for in this month's Sounds Jewish. Thanks to my guests, Jonathan Friedland, Mark Gardner, and to our sponsors, the Jewish Community Centre for London. For now, from me, Jason Solomon, goodbye. Shalom, shalom. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.